we look at something in Baptist history, or some, someone in Baptist history. And um, this morning, I want to take a, I, I usually try to be in uh, chronological order this year to put some context. I think it helps, to, uh, you know, with uh, how we follow these men through history, because sometimes it is difficult. But this morning, because of the subject matter, I want to take a step back about 100 years and um, begin another section. Uh, we talked about F.B. Meyer and, and uh, Charles Spurgeon in the mid-1850s in, in uh, London and England. And now I want to go back. I'm going to stay in England, but let's go back about 100 years because I want to take a few weeks now and study the, what I call the first, the first missionaries. And the subject starts about 100 years before where we were last week. And so we're going to go back into the early 1700s and begin there, and, and maybe that will make sense because I want to have some continuity in the men that we're going to, the men and women that we're going to look at. But in the early 1700s in England, Baptist churches were seeing a severe decline. Uh, most churches embraced uh, extreme liberalism, and uh, they had been influenced greatly by the state church, uh, the Anglican church. And uh, again, they were influenced by that, and they were seeing this decline. The prevailing preaching emphasized election and predestination, and that effectively killed evangelism. It was called high Calvinism. We call it, uh, similar today, we call it hyper-Calvinism, but in that day it was called high Calvinism. And um, the most influential Baptist pastor of the early 1700s, Dr. John Gill, who actually pastored the church, that Spurgeon would eventually pastor, so very influential man, uh, he said this, and just listen to this, what he's saying. He said, he could not invite sinners to the Savior. Uh, he declared their guilt and their need for a new birth, but man must not interfere with his, God's purposes, by inviting men to Christ. And you can see the error in that statement and how dangerous that is, but it was considered both theologically wrong and practically dangerous to offer the gospel openly and freely to all. And, of course, this is terribly dangerous. And, and the, the, the basis of Calvinism, to make it very simple in my mind, uh, I just kind of boil things down to simplicity, and the, the very basics of, of Calvinism, and it's, it's very dangerous because it will kill you spiritually uh, or, or evangelistically, that God knows everything. God knows is going to be saved, so we should not ever interfere. Just let God take care of it. And, and part of that is true. God knows everything. But there is also um, Christ's words to us in the New Testament, and um, those will forever be in the Scripture, Matthew uh, 28, you know, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, Mark 16, 15. Um, and this is a conundrum, obviously, a very, very uh, dangerous thing, maybe to sometimes even debate because the, the devil can use this. And we won't know the answers to all this, but it's very clear, for, uh, Jesus makes it very clear that our, our duty is to preach the gospel, to propagate the gospel to every creature. And um, so anyway, this, and you say, why, why would this be important? Why, why spend the time on it? Because actually, um, this is heretical, I think, uh, terribly dangerous, but it's also being taught by many uh, Baptist fundamentalists today. You hear the term Reformed Baptist. Most of the time, that's a buzzword for high Calvinism and heading towards high Calvinism. So, so be very careful. of You want to be very aware where even good churches in our movement are going, and this is a, a very dangerous doctrine. And this is the world that Andrew Fuller was born into in 1754. And Andrew Fuller is, is our 27th person that I, uh, 50, uh, 50 Baptists that, that I think everybody should know. 
And so we're going to talk about Andrew Fuller this morning. Uh, Andrew Fuller's parents were both dissenters, and, uh, and of course they were Baptists, and dissenting means they did not attend or agree with the state church. And so there was some freedom given them. They could, they could meet by this time in, in England. Um, and they, uh, the, his grandparents had started a Baptist church um, in his hometown. And uh, uh, he was saved at the age of 17, but he struggled with the assurance of his salvation until well into his 20s. After his education, Andrew in 1775 became the pastor of this little Baptist church of 47 members that his grandparents, his grandfather had started and um, who, they were also members of the church there, of course, he and, uh, there and, their, and his parents. And uh, this church, though, was heavily influenced by high Calvinism. And with the pastor before Fuller, he actually said this, he, he had nothing to do with the unconverted. And the, the church was dying, and Andrew Fuller knew it. He said of the entire English Baptist movement, this is his quote, he said, had matters gone on but a few years longer, the Baptists would have become the dunghill of society. So Fuller was fully educated in high Calvinism, um, but in December of 1779, he became convinced that this was unscriptural, and he decided with great trepidation to begin introducing open offers uh, of the gospel in his preaching. Now, he encountered strong opposition from both people in his church and uh, from, from other Baptist pastors um, over throughout uh, the area where he lived. Um, and what led to his change in thinking and practice, um, or I should say, what led to his, his uh, what, what, what was it that led to this, this change in his thinking and his practice, because it could cost him so much personally. And there were several things. Um, he had put his um, own trust in Christ. He talked about this throughout his ministry. He had put his own trust in Christ uh, without receiving any help from his pastor, and this caused him great concern because he had been kept in darkness and despondence um, so long. And, but primarily... It was a renewed interest in God's Word. And as he began reading God's Word, uh, according to his own testimony, he resolved that the Scriptures um, were very much against this doctrine of, of, of high Calvinism. And he actually wrote a covenant to God when he was newly saved that it was never meant for anyone else's eyes. Uh, it was not discovered until after his death. But he said, Lord, thou hast given me a determination to take up no principle at second hand, but to search for everything at the pure fountain of thy Word. Boy, that's a, that's a great, uh, great testimony and something that we all should endeavor to do. But So actually, this biblicism is a hallmark of revival. Um, and haven't we seen that over and over? Uh, in fact, at this very time, uh, George Whitfield is in America preaching. And the people that are being saved are going back to their Bibles. Remember we talked about this? And they're, they're realizing that the state church is wrong. And so, so many Baptist churches come out of um, this time, both in England and in America. But uh, he was greatly influenced by Jonathan Edwards uh, and, and George Whitfield. And um, he finally uh, had become a, begun a friendship with several men who also were influenced by, by Edwards and Whitfield. And this was, uh, they had become evangelistic-minded, and this was a kind of a watershed moment in, in Fuller's life. And then I want to talk about his personal life, though, before we go on, because his personal life was filled with great sorrow, and eight of his 11 children by his wife Sarah died in infancy or early childhood. Uh, he was particularly grieved by the death of uh, his six-year-old daughter. Um, actually, he said um, it left him in severe depression. He said, I lay before the Lord, weeping like David and refusing to be comforted. And tragically, his, his wife would die herself, giving birth to their 11th child, and the baby would die a few weeks later. Um, uh, so this was kind of the life of middle and lower class 
uh, English people at that time. Very, very difficult life. Uh, he found some happiness in his personal life again in 1794 when he married uh, Ann Coles, a pastor's daughter. Uh, it was a happy marriage, but there too, um, there was much grief as three of their six children uh, died in infancy. And I, I want to tell you that because I want you to see there's a very human side to these men, and they accomplished great things for the Lord, but I never want us to think that life was a piece of cake, and they just they were able to accomplish things for the Lord because nothing else was bad in their lives. Just the opposite. Um, think of that. I think it's uh, 14 of their children died. Uh, uh, just, just amazing. And it's a very sad time, but... Uh, but God used that in his life, um, very dear people. In um, 1785, he wrote a work which we now consider very important, uh, the gospel worthy of all acceptation. And Fuller took the plunge, and he, he urged evangelism and missions. And what is now very much a part of our lives was never spoken of before, um, except by a very few. And as we know, there were five men, five young men, um, all Baptist preachers, that thought of the idea of organizing a missionary agency to send the gospel uh, methodically across across the globe. And um, the history of these uh, men is really amazing. They were not pastors of large churches, uh, that they could afford a large missionary budget. Neither were they scholars, that people would really listen to them. Um, but they were surrendered to God, and the Lord uh, used them to individually and collectively uh, begin an effort that has never died since then. And in 1784, two of the men drew up a recommendation to the, the Baptist churches in the area, uh, and they said this. They, they asked the churches uh, to observe one hour on the first Monday evening of every month in prayer for revival of the churches and the general cause of the Redeemer. And they also said, let the spread of the gospel to the most distant parts of the habitable globe be the object of your fervent requests. And who were these five men? Um, they were, of course, Andrew Fuller, a man named... Um, Ryland, a man named Sutcliffe, Pierce, and one man named William Carey. And on October 2nd, 1792, they formed um, an organization which they called, it's an interesting name, particular Bap- the, the Particular Baptist Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Among the Heathen. And actually we know it today as the Baptist Missionary Society. And this is one of the most important dates of, in all Baptist history, October 2nd, uh, 1792. Uh, It set in motion the modern missionary movement um, that would sweep the United States and Great Britain. Um, And really we have our entire missionary movement to thank for these men and and, and the system that they set up. Fuller became the secretary of the society, and as secretary he traveled thousands of miles um, by horseback uh, preaching to the churches all over England, uh, in Scotland, even Wales and and Ireland. Um, He would make many trips to the United States and uh, preach to American churches to pray and consider giving their lives to give the gospel to the heathen. William Carey, one of those five men, would be uh, the, first, uh, the, first, the society's first missionary, and he arrived in India on November 7, 1793, just about a, a year later. Um, he is the first Baptist missionary and really a uh, uh, very, very important uh, part of history right there, and we'll talk about that, but... Um, the importance of the Baptist Missionary Society really can't be exaggerated. As I said, God used this to set a pattern for, for all programs to this day. Um, although they had no idea, these five friends were becoming involved in something that would have worldwide significance. Um, on May 7th, at age 62, Andrew Fuller uh, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, Andrew Fuller's life was used as few lives have been used by the Lord. Uh, he was considered the, pre- the preeminent uh, Baptist theologian of the 18th century. And um, 
Uh, actually, the, his, that movement was called Fullerism in the late, in the late, uh, in the late, 18, uh, late 1700s. Uh, he, was given a, he was a man of, of, of great personal humility, uh, did, never wanted the limelight. Actually, Princeton and Yale um, gave him honorary doctorates. He turned them both down. Did not want, uh, did not want that. He felt that that was really anti-biblical uh, for him, and um, it's just a, an amazing person. And William Carey would say of of um, of Andrew Fuller, and, and maybe that's up on the screen, that not exactly this quote, but William William Carey said, "Andrew Fuller held the ropes while I ascended into the pit." And um, that's an interesting quote because who is William Carey? Uh, who is that man, and what is he referring to about ascending into the pit? We're going to start study of William Carey's life next week. And uh, just uh, an amazing man, um, um, Andrew Fuller. I want to thank the Lord for he and his, his uh, surrender and his ministry in uh, the 1700s in England.